listening to the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Hey, welcome to Barcode. What can I get you tonight? Hey, bud, I'm actually looking for Tony. You happen to know if he's in? Nah, he went MIA. It must be Chris. My name is Danny. You can call me Danny Boy. It's my first night on the job. Nice. Well, welcome, Danny Boy. It's good to see you here, man. Hey, if you don't know already, this is actually the home to the cybersecurity elite. Oh, for sure. 20 minutes in, I already had to freeze my credit. Oh, shit. Well, you learn quickly here, man. Hey, do you have any idea where Tony's at anyway? Nope. Unfortunately, I don't have that intel. But I just served this customer down there who offered to find out for me. Apparently, she can locate precisely. What is this thing called? Onset? Whatever that shit is. She's working on it now. Oh, yeah, dude. That's the threat hunter girl. I've seen her in here before. I'm actually going to go down there real quick and talk to her. But first, let me get a drink, Danny boy. What you got lined up for me? Well, Chris, this one's pretty straightforward yet deadly. It's called the spider bite. All you need is one shot of white tequila and a half a can of Roxer in a pint glass. Drop it down and take it down smooth. Thanks, man. Well, I'm out. Hopefully I'll catch up with you later. Yes, sir. I'll catch you next round. Experienced intelligence analyst and creator of the Cognitive Stairways of Analysis Framework, Nicole Hoffman has a passion for developing the analytic tradecraft. Her work, research, and presentations have inspired and educated others around the international analytic community. She's recently published a children's book and started the IT Wolves podcast. Nicole, thanks for joining me at Barcode. I'd like to start by hearing about your journey into security and how that happened. Sure. So back in high school, um, I was on the school newspaper and I was really into writing. I was really into catching the the story, <laughs> um, the controversial, more controversial, the better. Um, and so I really wanted to pursue a career in journalism. Um, but once I graduated, um, my parents were very old school and they were just like, there's the door, <laughs> have fun. So I didn't really have like the conventional college experience where, you know, I got to go live in a dorm and, you know, experience that four years of, of partying and all of that. I was out working my butt off, um, just trying to survive, um, trying to, you know, figure out how I'm going to afford my next meal. And it was at that point I realized that journalism is not really going to be something I can pursue while I'm struggling to eat. Um, so I decided to switch into the medical field because I thought it would be easy to obtain a position. At the time, it was like up and coming. Um, so I started going to school uh, to be a medical assistant, graduated, became a, a phlebotomist. And I was going to go to nursing school. Um, but my I ended up getting married. My husband got, uh, he was in the military, got stationed in a not so safe area. And I was at the point in my degree where I had to go in person to the labs and things like that. Um, and I just didn't feel safe, but I didn't want to just stop going to school. 
So I just decided to switch into something that I could study remotely. My husband was already in tech, so he already had a bunch of, uh, you know, like routing and switching type books. So I thought, well, maybe I'll do that. So I just switched into information technology. Um, and when I made that switch, I, the only thing that I thought really existed, at least in the security side, was just engineering or, you know, network security. I didn't know anything about analysis or socks or um, intelligence or anything like that. Um, it wasn't until, let's say, I don't even know how many, it took me about six years to finish my degree because I was going part-time and I had two kids. Um, but after I had my, my last child, my husband got out of the military. I got my first internship at a software company and it, it was a cybersecurity analyst but it was more of a researcher type position. And the company was was trying to align their software with MITRE ATT&CK. And so I learned all about the MITRE ATT&CK framework. And then I ended up uh, not uh, physically, but virtually going to the first attack con, which I think was back in like 2018. And I saw um, Roberto Rodriguez and his brother's talk. And uh, Carl Schurman, I feel like I always say his name wrong. <laughs> but so Carl, his talk was specifically, it, it was involving threat hunting, but, you know, he mentioned in his bio, like, hey, I work for CrowdStrike and I'm in intelligence. And I was like, whoa, whoa, what is this? <laughs> I had never heard of it. Um, and so that's really was the hook was learning, you know, what, what is CrowdStrike? What does CrowdStrike do? What is this thing called threat intelligence? And how can I utilize my attack knowledge to like maybe go into this? And that's really what did it. I was like, love at first sight. I already loved MITRE, but then now I knew how to use it in a way that made sense to me. Yeah. Interesting. So your husband was in IT and then you were basically exposed to the technology field through him. So my husband was, was a, he was in IT in the military and um, he was more of like a, like a network engineer. And then when he got out, he ended up switching into security. But um, initially he was just a network engineer. So lots of his books were like, you know, Cisco books and routing and switching and CCNA. And so that's really the path that I initially started going toward, towards when I was just uh, studying. And my degree was very general, just IT. I did ended up getting a minor in cybersecurity, but it's still very new program. So it was very, very high overview. Um, not really in the weeds. Yeah. Because, I mean, typically, you know, without any experience, CCNA could be extremely intimidating. And typically you'd run the other way. <laughs> oh, I didn't get my CCNA. So... <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it was, and like from my husband's point of view, like his, because he's an engineer, his networking knowledge helped him in the security side. Okay. And so he thought, you know, if you're going to go into tech and you like security, maybe get this kind of like base knowledge because it'll help you. But I didn't want to be an engineer. But at this point, I didn't know that there's like other things that existed. Gotcha. So what made you choose that path over the medical path? Well, I needed to study remotely. 
because my husband was going to be stationed there for a good amount of time. Um, and it was one of those like life altering decisions. Like, what do I do? Because you can't study medicine remotely. Right. And, you know, I, there wasn't a way for me to like, you know, go move somewhere else and go to school because I mean, we were very young, just starting out. I got (laughs) married pretty young. Um, we had a kids pretty young. And so my thought process was he already has all of these textbooks. <laughs> Maybe I can <laughs> save some money. <laughs> Just use them. <laughs> and I'm like, he's doing well. You know, everyone at the time always said, oh, you know, going to computers, it's, you know, that's a good field to go into too. And so it wasn't completely like abnormal for, for me. And I already like when I was in school to become a medical assistant, Whenever anyone needed help, I was pretty much like the help desk. Like, oh, you can't figure out how to work with this printer. I could break it for you. I got this. <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll figure it out in the process. <laughs> Which is basically like my tech uh, motto is I don't I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I mean, I prefer uh, I prefer that method as well. But it is interesting that miter attack hooked you after being exposed to, to more of the security industry. Now, do you feel like you made the right choice or in any way, do you regret not continuing down that medical path? I don't regret it, but I still think like I, there's just so much overlapping between like the type of skills that you need for different careers. And I, I feel like I could have used a lot of the skills, um, that I have and that I excel at in the medical field and been really successful. Um, but the great thing about what I do now, not only do I love it, but I get to work at home. So, you know, I get to hang out with my kids. I get to be there for school stuff. You know, I don't have to worry about, you know, being in an office or, you know, a, a hospital or anything like that. So that, that part of it makes me not regret it at all. Got it. So do you feel like you were able to, transfer any of that medical training you received into the technology field? Somewhat. I mean, I feel like there's two parts of it. Like there's a lot of communication training and like bedside manner and things like that. And that definitely pulls over into technology because, you know, as you get more technical, it's harder to communicate, you know, to a non-technical audience. And it's a skill that you kind of have to keep up with. And it's very similar to medicine. And, you know, you, in my opinion, when a doctor tries to explain something to me and, you know, doesn't explain it or, you know, treats me like I'm an idiot for not knowing, I just assume oh, that that guy's a jerk. You know, <laughs> he, he doesn't have good bedside manner. So I, that part of it, I try to keep over. And then also, like, Having worked in the medical field, I kind of understand how certain things operate. So if I have, you know, a client in the medical field, I can kind of make better um, suggestions because I know what it's like being, you know, the person on the other side. Now, you've previously spoken about your personal challenge with ADHD, especially within the threat intel field and, you know, the concentration that's needed for constant analysis and this is basically your day-to-day work and i found it interesting that you actually developed a framework to help you overcome that struggle would you mind speaking to that for a moment yeah i would love to um 
So I wasn't actually diagnosed with ADHD until 2020. It was right around New Year's 2020. And I just assumed ADHD was just, you know, the hyper hyperactive. I didn't know any of the other symptoms. Um, it was actually a YouTube video that I saw and I just related to like, it was, it was like ADHD hacks. And then I talked to my doctor and went through the process and sure enough. Um, so you basically self-diagnosed yourself up front. Yes. Um, and I, I do take, you know, I do take medication and it was life changing. Like it changed my whole world and it was almost, you know, it almost makes you sad because there's like certain things that I have done my whole life, like interrupting people that I know that I'm doing it, but I can't stop doing it. So what are some of the symptoms that you experience with ADHD? Some of the symptoms um, is uh, mainly like executive function disorder, like certain executive functions, like planning things, organizing things, um, like keeping track of the time. Um, and a lot of people think it is a lack of focus, but really people with ADHD hyper focus just sometimes not on the right thing. So if, if I need to do something that I don't particularly find interesting, I, it's very difficult. I can give myself migraines. Um, and I actually, uh, growing up from probably like middle school on until, until I was diagnosed, I thought I had really bad allergies because I would get these horrible sinus headaches and I was on all of this allergy medicines and I was always on, antibiotics for sinus infections. And um, it wasn't until after I was diagnosed with ADHD that I found out that I was not having allergy problems. I was having migraines. Wow. And so after I got diagnosed and I started taking medication, I, I don't have that problem anymore. Um, so it actually does inflict physical pain. It's not just the neurological side. Yes, it can, it can cause pain. Um, and I have like the like my work, working memory sometimes isn't the greatest. Like I can watch an entire movie and then the next day not remember that I watched that movie. <laughs> wow. So once you got into performing threat intel work, uh, how soon did you realize that this was a really serious issue or were you already aware of it at the time and, and on medication at that time? When I first got into it, I was not taking medication and I didn't know that I had ADHD. So it was a challenge mostly to just keep track of all the moving parts. But at the same time, I was fascinated by it. And so. So you're hyper focused on it. Exactly. So the, one of the other things um, is that I get, you know, overstimulated really easily. So I get distracted. And that was really the biggest challenge was, you know, with the kids and things. Um, so after I started taking medication, you know, there could be my kids could be like wrestling, sumo wrestling, throwing <laughs> off fireworks next to me. I don't care. I'm just relaxed. I could focus. Yeah. Um, but I have the same issue, whether I'm medicated or not, I could still hyper-focus on something or go down a rabbit hole because I think it's fascinating. You know, if, if I'm writing a report and someone's like, hey, can you investigate these IOCs? Yes. <laughs> I would like to do that now because I just, I love doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You zone in on that. Um, if you don't mind, talk to me a little bit more about the framework you developed. Um, 
Walk me through that. Explain to me how that happened. Yeah. So it started with a blog. Um, I had started my blog um, just as a way to like have something that was my own. And I wanted to do a blog on the analytic trade craft and just kind of how analysts analyze things because I had noticed like a lot of uh, processes and frameworks just have anal- analysis as a step, but they don't really go into like, what does it mean? Does, and, and I'm like, does everyone just analyze data the same? Because I feel like maybe I do it differently and am I, am I doing it wrong? Um, and so I wanted to dive deeper. Um, and I just went down a rabbit hole of like hyper focus and I got really interested in like cognitive science and how our brains work. And I didn't really like what I saw in like tech. Uh, type of analysis stuff and the processes because it was just very vague. But then I started looking, well, you know, how do doctors analyze? You know, how do they come to the conclusion of a diagnosis? How does, you know, business analysts work? You know, everyone is analyzing data differently. And I you just went on this deep dive and investigated all of these different um industries and how they're doing what they do and different processes. And I just kind of took like my favorite ones from each one. And I thought, I really like this and I would like to use this. And then I had all these steps and I'm like, well, I might as well put them in order, which was really just for me. And then as I'm putting this in order, I just had this like aha moment. Like, did I just create like my own little framework? Um, At the time I was doing more um, internal to the firewall type stuff. I wasn't really doing as much Intel. So, cause I was doing some like incident response type stuff. So the first couple of stairways in the, uh, the framework are more for those type of, uh, investigations, those types of analytic processes. Um, uh, but my most recent one is the OSINT stairway, which is more focused on how I perform analysis um, when I'm doing like my open source uh, intelligence and the thought processes that I use and, you know, how I build the reports as I'm going. And it helps me keep on track, um, not only as someone with ADHD, but just someone that's like constantly doing a lot of things at once. Yeah, it's amazing that that you were able to work through that and also document it, you know, um, for others that may be looking to learn more about your framework, where can you point them? Um, so the framework is called the cognitive stairways of analysis, and you can go to my blog, which is threathuntergirl.com and read the blog, or you can go to its own website, which is cognitive stairways of analysis.com. The cognitive stairways of analysis.com website has all the resources that you need. It has the link to the blog. It has a link to the talk. Uh, there's a couple of talks that I did about it um, on YouTube as well. Nice. And I'll get those links posted as well. Um, so let's switch gears and talk about the mighty threat intelligence warrior, which is the name of your children's book that you authored. Talk to me a little bit about that and how you came up with that concept. So one one of the things with ADHD that I find is, you know, like I said, I'm always chasing that dopamine. I'm always chasing what's interesting to me and to finish something in its entirety, like a personal project is a huge deal. So it was very emotional for me when I actually like finished it. Um, But I did write a children's book and it all started 
Um, my son one day brought home a book from the school fair, uh, and it was called The Legend of Rock, Paper, Scissors. And it was this epic battle of like a little rock guy, scissors guy, <laughs> and, and a paper. And, and it, it's so cute. And it was just, it, it needed its own soundtrack. And so I was like, man, this would be really cool if it was like, you know, threat intelligence and different, you know, threat groups and, you know, sock analysts. And so then I, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I just went into like hyper focus mode and I just wrote it all out. And the first draft was a little bit different. It was a little more like in your face um, type of writing. It was kind of like throwing threat and tell in your face with like using words like VPN and things like that. And then one of my friends was like, maybe make it a little bit more digestible. And so I changed the whole thing and made it um, not only that it's digestible, it's really can relate to a lot of different fields within security, not just threat intelligence, but like SOC analysts or, uh, you know, digital forensics. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I wrote it for my kids because I just thought it would be really fun. And then after I published it, people, you know, had an overwhelmingly positive um reaction not only from like threat intelligence professionals but also from people who are just in cybersecurity who just are like I've been trying to explain to my kids what I do for so long and this is just so perfect and the best part was that Carl <laughs> from CrowdStrike bought my book <laughs> for his kids thank you Carl <laughs> nice nice um is there an, an age group target that this is for? The age group for the book is preschool to fifth grade. That's not saying that kids outside that age range can't enjoy it, but that's kind of like the peak because it is a picture book. Um, if it's third grade and under, probably going to have to help read it because some of the words are a little bit bigger. Um but my, I have a kindergartner and he absolutely loves it. And he loves the, there's a dragon in it and he loves the story. And, um, I love dragons too. Yeah. Everybody loves dragons. Where can we find it? Is it on Amazon? It is. It's on Amazon and it's, um, international. So if you live in a different country, um, you know, if you have Amazon or the closest country to you that has Amazon, um, and if anyone is listening internationally and they don't have an Amazon close to them, just let me know. And I'll, you know, I try to make sure anyone can get a copy. Awesome. Awesome. Um, did you illustrate it too? I did not. Um, <laughs> I wish I was that cool. No, the illustrator I hired and she's amazing. Um, her name is Taranya Kalamegum and she is actually an author as well. She also has some books that she authored available on Amazon and she was just so perfect. Like I, I, she, she's not in tech. She has no idea what, you know, when I say like I, the the inspiration I gave for the Mighty Warriors office was like, think like mad science laboratory mixed with like a rave. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I want cables and neon lights and, and I'm like, but I don't want it to be too much. And but she yeah, she did it perfectly. You'll notice like throughout the book, like in um while they're in the castle, there's like neon lights in different places throughout. And it's very subtle, but it's just so perfect. 
that's so cool, man. I, and I can't think of anything that has ever existed like it. Um, so what's next for you? Will you keep writing? Will there be a part two we can look forward to? Um, so I ended up not being able to find a publisher for it just because of the, the red tape and things I didn't want to deal with. Um, so I ended up starting my own publishing company to self publish it. And I thought, well, now that I have a publishing company, I can just continue. And so the second manuscript is complete. Um, it is going to be a series. Um, it'll probably come out next year. And I might introduce a diff- additional series, but I do want to focus um, on STEM education, specifically in science and technology. That's so great. And something else great that you're doing right now is the IT Wolves podcast. So you're staying busy. Yes. Um, <laughs> episode zero, I just checked out. I encourage everyone else to go check it out. This is you and your husband, correct? Yes. Um, so, it's, so it's me and my husband. And it was his idea, actually. Um, but I thought it would be a really great idea as well, because people always like people in my um, just like my friends and stuff that I talk to that are in tech. They know that I'm constantly asking my husband like engineering type questions. And because I'm like, you know, when I'm on the analyst slash vendor side and I make recommendations to someone that is basically in his you know, position. I want to make sure that it sounds right from an operational standpoint. And so I'm constantly asking his opinion. And then he's constantly asking me like, Hey, have you heard anything about this? And so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about like different technology topics from both of our points of view, because it's very different. You know, it's like one example is like, you know, patch management as a vendor, I'm always going to be like, patch it, patch it. And he's like, yeah, it's more complicated than that. I'm like, ah, I don't understand. Just, just patch it. <laughs> because, you know, without that operational knowledge and knowing all the dependencies and things like that, um, how would I know, you know? So. Yeah. Which is a common conversation yes. in an organization. So you're basically having this conversation for us. <laughs> That's a great concept. And, and we're married. So, I mean, just that banter alone, <laughs> I can be, I guess we're a little bit more uh, relaxed, but yeah. Yeah. The meeting never ends. Right. Yeah. But one of the things I love about not only like starting a podcast, but just being on podcasts is it's, it's relaxing. It's not like giving, you know, like a conference presentations because you can just, you know, kind of like nerd out in a casual way and it's nice. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, um, it's also rare to have a security focused podcast hosted by a couple also. And, um, I believe that's uncharted territory. Yes. Although (laughs) I'm hoping it'll be somewhat educational, but I think some of it might just be analyst versus engineer, which obviously analysts are better. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Until I need something and then I have to ask him a question. Yeah, until you need one. <laughs> then engineer yeah, then engineers are better. Yeah. <laughs> if I need something built. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, that conversation could get intense. Um now you're based in Texas? Yes. Tejas. <laughs> nice, nice. What area of Texas are you in? I'm in the Dallas area, but I'm fairly new. I just moved to Texas last year with my family from Washington state. 
Um, so I'm not at that point yet where I'm like, don't mess with Texas. I'm not there yeah. yet. Probably get there soon. <laughs> I still run away when there's a tornado warning. Like I'm not outside with my sweet tea and my chair yet. I'm not on that level of Texan yet. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, so in Dallas, uh, what bar would you recommend someone from out of town hit up while they're there? Um, I, because I have kids and because I, I live outside of the city, so I don't typically go into town, um, for the nightlife. If we do, it's usually like, uh, you know, a restaurant and things like that. Um, okay. Okay. Well, let's switch it up then to barbecue. Do you have a go-to barbecue place? I do. Um, one place I like is down in Ellis County. It's called Blue Bonnet Barbecue. I really like them. Um, I really love that Texas has Fat Tuesdays, which is from New Orleans. I used to live in New Orleans, which is it's. Have you have you heard of Fat Tuesdays? I have. Yes. They have the daiquiris. Yeah. Yeah. There's one in Philly. Yeah, they have them throughout uh, Texas, which is nice because you can go and you could just take it home and you can get like the Everclear shots and things like that, which sound crazy, but I've lived in New Orleans. So <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been indoctrinated. <laughs> no, no, not not crazy at all. So I just heard last call here. You got time for one more? Yeah, sure. If you opened a cybersecurity themed bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? Ooh, good question. Good question. I would probably name it Alcohol in Depth. Alcohol in depth. <laughs> like security in depth and all the drinks would be layered. <laughs> I love it. And what would your signature drink be called? It would probably be a dark and stormy. Dark and stormy. I like that. And your drink menu could have, um, it could have level one through seven, where seven is just straight alcohol. It's just like straight tequila, like triple shot. <laughs> <laughs> no chaser. <laughs> There's no chasers on layer seven. <laughs> no chaser, no label. Yeah. Just have to take it down. The drink that shall not be named. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, before you go, where can our listeners find you online? Yeah. So I'm pretty much Threat Hunter Girl across all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, if you go to my blog, threathuntergirl.com, I think I only have my Twitter link to it. Um, but everything should be open if you ever want to contact me. Um, ask me any questions. Um, you know, if you need a mentor, you need advice, or you just want to say hi, you know, come on over. Awesome. And we can hit the podcast from that that website as well. Yes. So my podcast right now, it is on Spotify. Um, but it, if you want to listen, you can also go to my blog and you can just click on IT Wolf's or I think it's podcast right now. And, and you can listen there as well. Well, Nicole, thanks for stopping by. Um, had a great conversation with you and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you. It's an honor to be on the show. Thanks for having me. Take care. As you know, Barcode is where security and IT professionals hang out after a long day. So get your message front and center to our fans by sponsoring an episode. Learn more at the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers.
Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.